It was meant to be yet another hike, the kind he'd undertaken several times before. On the edge of the vast desert, known as the Nazca Desert in southern Peru, are a series of foothills which overlook the arid basin below. It was through these selfsame foothills that archaeologist Toribio Mejia Chespe now found himself, not expecting to stumble upon anything other than the rugged terrain with which he was familiar. This time, however, he was venturing down a path he'd never taken before for a change of pace. Little did he suspect at the time the importance this decision would ultimately merit him. Emerging through a gap in the foothills, he stopped for a moment to catch his breath and behold the seemingly endless expanse of desert that stretched out before him as far as the eye could see. It was here, however, that he noticed something strange. Etched into the rocky surface were a series of lines or paths whose placement seemed curious to him. After all, no defined roads had ever been laid to crisscross the desert floor. Upon exploring them further, he was stunned to discover that they formed the outline of a massive geoglyph, a sort of large-scale image left by an ancient culture, or perhaps an otherworldly entity. It proved to be anywhere between 440 to 1200 yards, 400 to 1100 meters across. Whatever the case, Chespe took it upon himself to study this curious formation, ultimately sharing his discovery with the world at large in a conference in the capital of Lima 12 years later in 1939. From there, it became an archaeological media sensation, as Peruvian civilian and military aircraft launched several flyovers of the site to map it and other such formations in the same area. They soon came to be known as the Nazca Lines, after the desert where they were discovered, as well as the culture who created them. Who made these intricate geoglyphs? How were they made? And what exactly was their purpose? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. Toribio Mejia Chespe's discovery of the Nazca Lines in 1927 garnered the most publicity. He was by no means the first to encounter them. Descriptions of what are believed to be the massive geoglyphs date back to the 16th century, when Spanish conquistadores mentioned in their various accounts sophisticated roads and trail markers forged and used by the region's indigenous inhabitants. Naturally, this was before the advent of flying and air travel, so there was no way the Spanish could know the size and scope of their discovery, and they passed it off as something relatively unremarkable. Fast forward about four centuries to the year 1940, a year after Chespe's conference. An American professor of history and government at Long Island University named Paul Kosok has arrived in Peru to study ancient irrigation systems, particularly those of the Nazca. Naturally, being an historian, he's heard all about the Nazca lines and makes a side trip to the Nazca desert to see them for himself. While being taken for a flyover of the site, he notes some of their unique shapes, the first he witnesses being in the shape of a bird. He observes, too, that the lines converge on the horizon, and realizes that they very well could have been important religious icons for use in ceremonies marking the solstices and equinoxes. Fired by these discoveries, he abandons his irrigation venture altogether, opting instead to devote himself completely to the study of the lines in an attempt at understanding their purpose. He's soon joined by some of his colleagues, as well as local archaeologists, in an attempt at solving the site's mysteries. Before we discuss their findings and theories, let's bring into focus the mighty culture and civilization who made the lines. Known as the Nazca, spelled with a Z or an S interchangeably, they thrived along the arid coast, river valleys, and deserts of southern Peru from roughly 100 BC to AD 800. Their society, which was comprised of several local chieftains, was built around a ceremonial center of earthwork plazas and mounds, and was known as Kawachi. 
Here, archaeologists believe, was the center of the Nazca religion, where rituals pertaining to water, agriculture, and fertility were carried out. The Nazca worshipped many gods and entities, each of which was tied to nature, and specifically to the elements conducive to growing crops. One such deity, for example, was in the likeness of a killer whale, representing both the sea and water. Harvesters, too, were arguably the most important people in Nazca society, whose line of work commanded a great deal of respect. Religious practices were carried out by shamans, who would often ingest a hallucinogenic extract derived from the indigenous San Pedro cactus to induce visions. On a smaller scale, they were known for their sophisticated ceramics and intricate textiles, the latter of which are hallmarks of traditional southern Peruvian craftsmanship to this day. In terms of engineering, they were highly advanced, creating puquillos, or systems of underground aqueducts, which provide entire communities with water via a network of underground chambers. This advancement proved vital in the dry climate of the region, as fresh water was otherwise scarce and was absolutely necessary for irrigation, as well as various domestic purposes. But impressive as each of the aforementioned feats were, the Nazca are perhaps best known for the massive geoglyphs they left behind, which dot the desert landscape in an area that encompasses some 170 square miles, or 450 square kilometers, roughly the size of the greater Los Angeles area. Just how were these incredible works of art made? Based upon Dr. Kosok's findings, along with those of fellow archaeologist Richard P. Scheidel and Maria Reiche, a German mathematician based in Lima at the time, stone tools and simple surveying equipment were used to lay the foundations for the lines. This is attested to by wooden stakes found in the ground at the end of some lines, which have been uncovered through various archaeological surveys. The lines themselves were dug into the dry desert floor. They began as a series of shallow trenches ranging anywhere from 4 to 6 inches, 10 to 15 centimeters deep. At the time, the desert floor, as it is today, was covered in a reddish-brown, iron-oxide-rich soil consisting of pebbles and gravel. When this top layer is removed, the earth and clay beneath, with its whitish-gray coloration, stands in stark contrast to the soil above it. This sublayer contains a high concentration of lime, which, when interacting with moisture from Mr. Dew, solidifies to form a protective layer that shields the lines from wind, preventing erosion. This is how the Nazca lines have survived to the present day. As of 2022, there are 370 representational figures in all, 300 of which are geometric figures, designs, and patterns, while the remaining 70 depict various plants, animals, and human-like entities. This latter group are called biomorphs. Some of the more famous of the Nazca lines include a 300-foot, 93-meter hummingbird, a 154-foot, 47-meter spider, a 440-foot, 134-meter condor, and a 305-by-190-foot, 93-by-58-meter monkey. Most of the lines were discovered within the past 20 years or so, thanks to the advent and advancement of drone technology, which can observe them from above. In 2011, for example, researchers from Yamagata University in Japan stumbled upon two new geoglyphs thanks to their use of drones, one resembling a human head, while the other is an animal of some sort. The question, however, remains. What exact purpose did the line serve? Surprisingly, that's a debate that continues right up to the present. As the Nazca had no written language, and therefore no written accounts of their history or culture, archaeologists, ethnologists, and anthropologists alike have all had to rely on what they know of these fascinating people, largely drawn from Spanish sources, as well as their own observations, in order to draw their own conclusions. These theories range from the logical to the bizarre and fantastical, and are perhaps not surprising given the size and scope of the geoglyphs. The first of these was proposed by none other than Dr. Kosok and Maria Reiche in 1941, who offered astronomical and cosmological purposes for the lines, noting similarities with monuments from other ancient societies. 
According to the pair, they served as early forms of observatories in which the geoglyphs were not only aligned with the planets and other celestial entities, but also with the sun and moon and ceremonies involving the solstices and equinoxes. To back these claims, Kosok and Reiche drew comparisons with other indigenous cultures of the Americas, particularly those of the Mississippians in what's now the United States, and the Mayans in southern Mexico and northern Guatemala, both of whom built earthen mounds and steppe pyramids respectively that were perfectly aligned with the trajectory of the sun, moon, and even the planet Venus. Even further afield, they noted similarities with monuments like Stonehenge in England and Newgrange Burial Mound in Ireland, both of which were integral in solstice and equinox rituals. But not all theories and explanations are as grounded as these. Because they face the heavens, there are still other experts, particularly in recent years, who have posited that the lines were intended to be seen from above. Whether these were meant for the divine eyes of the Nazca gods, or perhaps those of otherworldly visitors, are the more outlandish theories that exist at present. Of course, the extraterrestrial theory has gained a considerable amount of traction with New Age thinkers and conspiracy theorists, with some going as far as to claim that aliens even aided the Nazca in the creation of the geoglyphs. Cue the History Channel aliens meme. Some have even gone so far as to suggest that they represent constellations, as seen and interpreted by the Nazca, with the lines being their earthly counterparts in relation to those of the Milky Way and night sky. Whichever theory one chooses to believe, it's clear that there's still a considerable amount of work and study to be done to attempt to decipher the geoglyph's meaning and purpose. We may never know for certain, but in the meantime, the best researchers can do is hazard a guess. While there were many impressive societies and civilizations in South America, perhaps none are as startling as the Nazca. With their incredible lines, which continue to offer tantalizing clues into their significance and use, they were a truly sophisticated and advanced people. Up to the present, new finds are being made thanks to drone technology. Who knows how many more geoglyphs are waiting in the wings to be discovered. Perhaps the unlocking of these treasures will yield a better understanding as to the reasons why they were made. In this case, it's exciting to see what the future holds. Thank you so much for listening, and for joining me again this week for a fascinating look at one of the world's most unusual man-made landmarks. I'd like to give a shout-out to all my followers, listeners, and supporters, without whom the production of this podcast simply wouldn't be possible. It's thanks to you guys that I can continue to bring you content, and for that, I'm truly grateful. Is there a topic or event in history that you'd like me to cover? Please let me know in the comments section of my latest Instagram post at history underscore loves underscore company. Tune in again next week for another installment of the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you next time.